0: Let's pray together. God, we are confident of this. That you see us. That you hear us. That you know us. And that you love us. And yet, in life, there seems to be complexities that... uh, Cause us to uh, question, that cause us to doubt, that cause us sometimes even to desire you more. So we we pray, uh, I pray over this your people today, that you, as our Father, who is indeed in heaven, whose indeed His name, Your name, be hallowed. We pray together that your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. God, that your will be done in our lives. God, that you would empower us to surrender to you wholly. God, in that we, we pray in these times that you uh, build our patience, build our prayer life, Uh, build our devotion to you, as we indeed even intercede on behalf of others. And there are so many, God, that we lift before you, those who are in health scenarios that uh, are scary, Uh, those who are in grieving places because of death, those who are uh, needing strength because of long work hours in uh, really risky places. God, for uh, people who... Indeed, in financial stress, wonder uh, how this is going to all work out. God, even for our leaders who make the decisions on a daily basis with regard to uh, not only our health but our economy. So, in this, we come to you and we say, God, would your will be done. And may it even today be that we can hear from your word, a word that would encourage us, that would grow us, that would nurture us. In these days, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's uh, Mother's Day. So I I begin this morning with uh, the story of one of the most amazing moms in the Bible. Her name is Naomi. And I picked Naomi because she was also among the most heartbroken moms of the Bible. Uh, her story has, I think, some uh, relevance, therefore, in the uncertainty that we find ourselves in, whether that's with regard to the virus or the response uh, to the virus. Uh, there is a day in which we live that is uncertain and, in some cases, heartbreaking. And so her story, Naomi's story, has some re- relevance in the uncertainty that we find Ourselves in, and yet in that uncertainty shows us who God is, which fits this series that we have been in now for a few weeks and looking to find the certainty of God even in our uncertain times. Do you remember her story? The story of Naomi? It's found in the book of Ruth in the scriptures. Naomi and her husband Elimelech. Um, and their two sons move from Bethlehem uh, to the country of Moab because there is a great famine in the nation of Judah and so uh, the family picks up Elimelech, Naomi and their two sons and, and they move and we're told not long after they arrived in the country of Moab that Elimelech dies And after his death, they remain there in the country. Naomi, a single mom now, raising two sons. And we know that they stayed long enough enough in Moab that their two sons would indeed marry Moabite women. We're told in the scriptures that uh, at least ten years have gone by. And then in that ten years, uh, Naomi not only faces the uh, grief of the death of her husband, but then the grief of the death of both of her sons. And so her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah, there's a good name for any of you who are pregnant, Orpah and Ruth are left with Naomi and Naomi in her overwhelming grief and bitterness uh, decides to leave to go back to Bethlehem. She hears that the, the... it's okay to go back and that there's provisions for her as she goes back and so she excuses Orpah and Ruth for coming with her They says you don't have to come you can stay in your homeland of of Moab uh, but I am going to go back well you know the story I think Orpah decides to stay but Ruth goes with her so 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 let's review here's the story of Naomi you leave the land that you've known all your life to go to a foreign land that has not been historically kind to your people, your husband dies, your sons marry foreign women, and then your sons die. (laughs) It's a place of despair. Now, we know the ongoing story. We'll move quickly through it. It's not my point, but I want you to get the end of the story. Ruth goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem. She falls in love with a guy named Boaz, and, and then a number of centuries later, Jesus is born. It's, a, it's an amazing story that places this Moabite woman, Ruth, in the ancestral line of our Savior and Lord Jesus, But where I want to focus in on is back with Naomi at the end of chapter 1. I want you to hear her bitterness. I want you to hear her anguish. I want you to hear her uncertainty. But I want you to hear her amazing trust in a sovereign God. Sovereign. A big church word this morning that we're going to focus in on. It means supreme power. Supreme authority. And Naomi, even though she's in an uncertain place, she finds certainty in a sovereign God. I want to focus back at the verses at the end of chapter 1. We are told that when Naomi returns to Bethlehem, she changes her name to Mara. Why? Well, Naomi meant pleasant in Hebrew, and she wasn't feeling that way. So she changes her name to Mara, which means bitter. Mara says in verse 20, I have changed my name, listen to this, because the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Here's something. We understand that Naomi's grief is overwhelming, but here's something that equally as overwhelming in this text is it is the Lord who has caused her grief. Four times in two verses, Naomi says this, The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. The Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has testified against me. The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. It is the Lord who has done this. And listen, it is not conveyed, her bitterness is not conveyed as a complaint. Her her name is not bitter because she is bitter against God, but rather because she has been placed in a bitter place by God. It actually portrays a surrender to God in a bitter place. And it really is astounding. It's why... I list Naomi among the great moms of the Bible. If you're just joining us this morning, we have been in a mini-series talking about the attributes of God, answering the question literally of who is God? Because I believe that in times of uncertainty like this virus and, and the responses to it, what we are searching for and can find God, listen, as the one thing certain in uncertainty. We have discovered in weeks gone by that he is incomprehensible and eternal, that he is holy and he is merciful. And this morning I want us to see that he is sovereign, always supremely powerful and in full authority of all things. And we share in it so that we might join Paul in the theme verse of this series, Romans 11.33, which you should have memorized by now, so you'll be able to say it with me without looking at your Bibles. Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable are His ways. It is a statement of praise as we indeed discover who. God is. So who is God? This morning we discovered that God is sovereign. Well, we need to answer the question and uh, we have limited time, uh, so limited space, but we need to at least address the question of what is sovereignty? What is sovereignty? Naomi teaches us that sovereignty is that the Lord is in charge Listen, of even the hard things, even the bitter things. Things. So, as we naturally turn to the uncertainty of these days, the bitterness of these days in our lives, we learn from Naomi and, quite frankly, all of the Bible that God's power is not limited. His authority, His goodness is not just limited to just the good things in life. John Piper clarifies it in this way, speaking of the sovereignty of God. He says, It means that He, God, can do, and in fact, does do all that he decisively wills to do. That God can do and does do all that God decisively wills to do. Later, he says, everything happens because God wills it to happen. Listen, he, he, he not only willed the storm to cease. In Mark chapter 4, remember the story, the disciples are out and, and on a boat and they're in a storm, and, and where is Jesus but asleep in the stern? Uh, he, here, I, I, I want you to hear that as they wake Jesus up and he speaks with authority over the storm and the storm becomes still, he is not only just sovereign over the storm in the sense that he stills it, he is sovereign over the storm in that he caused the storm. And the disciples realized that in that story in Mark 4. That as as terrified as they were of the storm around them, they were more terrified of one who had the power and the authority. More in awe of the one who had the power and the authority to cause the storm and to still the storm. Because he was Lord of the storm. And in the same way, we know, we come to this storm of uncertainty or any uncertainty in our life. And we know that God is able to calm the storm but we also need to hear today that he is Lord of the storm. He is Lord of the storm. Consider Jonah. Remember this story? An amazing story. Uh, listen, I would say, as we find Jonah in the beginning of the book of Jonah, that, that God willed Jonah's unwillingness to follow God. Let me say that again. That God willed Jonah's unwillingness to follow God. Why? Because that caused him to go the opposite direction of where God told him to go. Why? Because it In it, God willed a storm on a boat that had Jonah thrown into the sea. Why? Because God had willed a fish to swallow Jonah. Why? Because God had willed a queasy stomach in that fish that would cause that fish to vomit Jonah onto dry land. So that Jonah, by God's will, would have a second chance to go to Nineveh. Because it was God's will that when Jonah went to proclaim the word of God, in the powerful, corrupt, broken city of Nineveh, that there would be a great revival. And yet, we find Jonah on a hill outside of Nineveh in Jonah chapter 4, angry at God. You see, he didn't really think he wanted the Ninevites to be in heaven with him. (laughs) And so he was kind of bummed that God had willed their revival. And yet, watch what God does As Jonah goes out of the city, it says in the scriptures, in order to die, God appoints, that's the very word that is in the Hebrew, He appoints a plant. He wills a plant to grow over Jonah that would give him shade, that would give him life, that would give him hope. But in the same context, God wills that there's a worm. And it says that God appointed a worm to kill the plant. And God appointed an east wind that would come and scorch Jonah. All to make a point. God says, listen, Jonah, I am the one who is sovereign over life and death. And I am the one who is sovereign over those who go to heaven and who do not. Listen, it's an amazing story. That shows that everything happens because God wills it to happen. God is sovereign. One more story. There are so many, but this might be the most important. In Acts chapter 4, God had willed that Peter and John as disciples, after his resurrection and his ascension, would be given the power to heal. And he willed that on a certain day, a lame man would get healed. But God also willed that Peter and John get arrested for healing him. So that by by God's will, they might give testimony to the Sanhedrin of the power of God. To which the rulers of the day could not deny. So that by the will of God, Peter and John might be released. Right? Then in verse 23, it says that upon their release, they went to a friend's house and had a worship service. And in that worship service, this was their prayer as they came understanding the will of God the sovereignty of God of not only the healing but of their arrest and of their release they pray this sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, hear this, verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, the one whom you had anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. (laughs) Hear the underlying current of this prayer. It is an acknowledgement that a sovereign God had willed, listen, the death of Jesus. He willed the sin of those who would kill him. Pontius Pilate, Herod, the Gentiles, and the Jews. And the disciples here rejoice in it. Because they had finally gotten in part that these things, the death of Christ, would only lead to the resurrection of Christ, and these things had to happen for the forgiveness of their sins and the hope of heaven. And when they got that, their prayer becomes in this scenario Oh God, make us bold. Would it be your will? Would it be that you would empower us in boldness to declare this gospel? this gospel, this good news. And God was so pleased in that prayer that he willed that the house would shake. What is sovereignty? Sovereignty is that everything happens because God wills it to happen. What's your response to that? This would be a place that I would love for you to be in this sanctuary because I I almost would love to get your uh, voice responses to That very thing. What what is your response? I hope in in some measure you find in that immediate certainty in the uncertainty of your life. Knowing that God has not been absent in it. That there is nothing in your life that has happened. That God has not been uh, eternally and abundantly and sovereignly present in it. But even more that he's been in control of it. That no matter what the storm, He's held you in the very storm that He has brought. So I hope in some measure you find immediate certainty in the uncertainty. But but many of us, many of us will find this truth that God wills everything as messy. It feels messy, doesn't it? I mean, a quick reflection of your life could turn to a number of things that just don't seem write about God doing in your life. God willing in your life. An unexpected death of someone that you love. Being a victim of someone else's sin. That may be the obvious question this morning of what in the world is God doing in our current uncertainty. Whether that be sickness, or whether that be finances, or whether that just be anxiousness and worriness. Sometimes God's sovereignty seems messy. Uh, we yearn. Listen, Christians, we yearn to be Romans 8.28 Christians, don't we? Remember that verse? You know that verse? Many of you have learned that verse. Here, here it is: that we would know that all things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I mean, that's a great God is sovereign verse. Mm, But what about when things don't seem good? How do we work out what might seem as an inconsistency of God's goodness and his sovereignty when things in life are messy? How do we get to that place of surrender that Naomi seems to be in when life is bitter? But we know that God is good. How do we get to the place of Hillary Scott who wrote and sang that song that we listened to during the offering, a song that she wrote in the wake of a miscarriage? and She writes, I know, God, that you are good, but this doesn't feel good right now. And I know you think of things that I could never think about, but it's hard to count it all joy because I'm distracted by the noise just trying to make sense of your promises and." Here it is, sometimes I gotta stop, says Hilary Scott, and remember that you are God, and I'm not. So, thy will be done. Our response to God's sovereignty, even in the messes, needs to be a place of surrender. So here's the question, how do we get to that place? (laughs) How do we get to trusting God's sovereignty in the messy places of life? How do we get to trusting the certainty of God's sovereignty in uncertainty? Well, finally, we get to our text this morning. Some of you go, oh my goodness, we're just getting to the text. I'll try to make it brief. But I I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. I want us to, to come back to Romans chapter 8 as we, we think, thought about together uh, what is sovereignty, our response, a very honest response uh, of, of, man, what about sovereignty when it's messy? And, and, and then the question is, how do we get to that place of surrendering to that sovereignty in messy places? And I want to take us to Romans 8 to do that. Remember the classic verse in this chapter, I just shared it. You probably have a plaque on your wall somewhere, a coffee mug or something in your house with this verse on it. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 Well, we need to briefly ask how Paul, listen, how Paul gets to that point. Because it's way too easy just to kind of pluck that verse out and put it on a mug or put it on a wall hanging and, and, and try to live up to that thinking that God's always going to work things out, right? But What was Paul talking about when he said that? Because I think we, when we ask what was Paul talking about when he said it, and not just pluck it out of the Bible, that we'll begin to see an answer to our question of how we find certainty in God's sovereignty, even in messy and uncertain places. Because life for the Apostle Paul, listen, was not all unicorns and lollipops. Paul had struggles, he had messes, he had uncertainty. So how does he make this statement in light of that? Well, let's go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. And listen to Paul's helpful revelation. In verse 18 of chapter 8, Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing... With the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let me say it again. I consider that the sufferings of this present time, which were substantial for Paul, right? Are not worth comparing with with the glory that I haven't seen yet. That is to be revealed to us. This verse alone might cause us to think that Paul is simply saying, Hey, let's endure hardship by just hanging on to the fact that he's going to see heaven someday. But as we move forward in this text, that is not all that he is saying. Listen, he builds on that in verses 19 through 25. Let me read them for you. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation, listen, was subjected to futility. I, creation was subject, was was given over to messiness. Not willingly, not because they said, lay I want to go there, but because of him, who's God, who subjected it. God took them to messiness. Why? Verse 21, In hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, listen, he he moves from creation to us, here we are, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly, we have messes, we have uncertainty. As we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it, with patience. Now there is much to unearth here that we are not going to touch, but let me kind of rise above it to a ten thousand view foot view and, and look at verse twenty-two as maybe a hint to what God what God is saying, what Paul is saying in these verses. Verse twenty-two is a, I think a pivotal verse that gives us a <laughs> listen a great mom illustration to help us with our understanding of what Paul is saying and will help us with God's sovereignty in our uncertainty. Verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation, and we know that Paul is about to make the transition to even us, so we'll include us, we know that the whole creation, even us, have been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. As we read this, some of you will remember the very helpful teaching that Dr. Michael Malik provided last summer. Uh, Dr. Malik is a local ob guy and a Bible scholar all in one. And he's written a book called Birth Pangs. So here's a, a a very open plug for a great book that you can buy on Amazon and other places called Birth Pangs. Dr. Michael Malik. He's written this book to explain the process of the birth of a baby. How the process of the birth of a baby helps us to understand the second coming of Christ. Here's what, what Paul is saying. That, that as a woman has much discomfort... Uh, you ladies are going to be mad at me with discomfort, has much pain in a pregnancy, and especially with a delivery. So all of creation, and even specifically we as God's people, listen, will suffer as we wait for the glorious moment of the birth of the new heaven and the new earth, and the return of Jesus. That's the comparison. As there are as there is pain in that delivery of that baby, there will be a pain along the way. There will be suffering, there'll be messiness, there'll be uncertainty in the process of the delivery to the new heaven and the new earth and the return of Jesus. And as much as we don't enjoy the pain, I think you ladies would agree, we endure it because of the prize. It's amazing. Ladies go through that, have a baby, and then they, they actually have another one, and another one, and some another one, right? Because the prize of that child is so glorious that they're willing to endure the pain. That's what Paul is saying about the second coming of Christ. As much as we don't enjoy the pain, we endure it because of the prize of the promise of heaven and get this, the, the pain is not just a, a necessary part of the delivery. Here's a key thing that I think what Paul is saying, but it is a sign that the good part is coming. So, so let's apply this to the uncertainty we find ourselves in with the coronavirus. John Piper, in his book, Coronavirus in Christ, suggests that these days, these uncertain days, are quite possibly days that have been given to us as a God-given wake-up call to, the, to be ready for the second coming coming. Of Christ. Let me say that again. That these days are quite possibly days that have been given to us as a God-given wake-up call to be ready for the second coming of Christ. That God, who, who, listen, knows the story of creation all the way to the second coming, in its fullness, because he wrote it, has written into the story significant markers that tell us that his return is near. And that we should pay attention. Now get me. I am not the guy that wants to give you a date and time for the return of Christ because my belief is that the Bible tells us that that's not the point. I'm not here to necessarily try to create a timeline as to when Christ is coming or even telling you today that He's coming soon. I am here to tell you that He is coming and I am here to tell you that along the way He has given us markers of His coming. The Bible calls them birth pangs. And that we should wake up. We should wake up when we see them. We should turn to Jesus when we see them. We should trust Jesus with our lives when we see them. That indeed, Jesus is coming back. And it will be glorious. A sovereign God has said it will be so. But that this same sovereign God has ordained. That he has predetermined the messy as a reminder that this world is not all there is To use Paul's language, God has subjected us to futility that we might hope for a greater day that we cannot see. And that as we trust in his sovereignty, in the midst of uncertainty, the things we cannot see, listen, we will be empowered to be patient. That's what he says. Then go on to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the to the will of God. What's God saying? Paul gives us great news. that says that even when we don't know how to pray, because that place of waiting, that place of patience, the places of uncertainty, sometimes are in greater despair than we like to admit. When we even get to those places and are overwhelmed, we don't know what to pray. It says that when we are weak in that place, when we are overcome with uncertainty, that the Spirit of God will intercede for us. Listen, and because of this, we finally get to Verse 28. Right, So the birth pains are there, the uncertainty is there that we might know of the day that is coming. And even when that day, the, the waiting for that day is overwhelming to the point where we don't know how to pray. Here's good news, God by His Spirit intercedes for us. And this is what it produces. Are you ready? Verse 28. It produces that we might know. And boy, I, I, I would underline, if you underline in your Bible, underline the word know. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. We can know that all things work for good for those who are called who, who love God and are called according to His purpose. There's verse 28. It's because of all of those things Then. Then quickly, hear how Paul picks up steam in understanding the blessing of God's sovereignty. So there's all this prior to verse 28, but maybe the best part is what happens after verse 28. Because he goes on. And he says, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is talking about our salvation. There's much to say. But listen, I just want you to hear the momentum that when we know... That, that all things work out for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. This is why. Because it is the sovereign God who has made markers of His second coming. But it is that God who has saved us. Whom He has predestined. And as He's predestined, He's called. And as He's called, He's justified. He's made us right with God. And those whom He justified, He has this promise. That the birth banks will reveal the glory. That this momentary affliction will lead us to a place of glorious resurrection and eternal life with God God has done that and then listen to the confidence of Paul starting in verse 31 listen to Paul's response to sovereignty at this place right so here begins our lesson of our response to sovereignty what then shall we say to these things hear the question Paul says man if this is true What then shall we say to these things? All these questions of, uh, is God really in charge of uncertainty? What shall we say to these things? Here's what Paul says. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Listen, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If you don't get that, here's another question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Well, here's Paul's answer. It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that who is raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Then he asks, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Right? Shall tribulation? or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger? Will uncertainty, will coronavirus, will financial uh, struggle, will will the uncertainty of what's going to happen, even as we. what is it? Is there anything that can separate us from the love of Christ? And here's Paul's answer, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. Yeah, that's happened. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And he says, no. No, 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 no. In all these things. We are more than conquerors. Why? Because there's a sovereign God who is certainty even in our uncertainty. We are more than conquerors through him who's loved us. Listen to the confidence that he speaks for, I am sure. If if you can underline in your Bible today, I am sure. I am sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. (laughs) nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our lord why because he is sovereign over the storm he is sovereign in the storm and he will bring the glory of the storm in our lives <sighs> i know that all feels Bit like taking a sip of water from a fire hydrant. Uh, so, some summary statements really quickly. Back to the question how do we get to trusting God's sovereignty in the messy places of life? How do we get to trusting God's sovereignty in uncertainty? First, this we understand that the places of uncertainty cause us to hope in the fact that the suffering we endure is a light and momentary affliction compared to the glory of our prize. (laughs) Secondly, we understand that these places of uncertainty are even placed in our lives by a sovereign God that they might point us to that glory. They are the birth pangs to our deliverance. Thirdly, We understand that the places of uncertainty bring a weakness that makes us trust in the intercession of God's spirit. When we don't know how to pray, that that we trust, we lean into God's spirit as he prays for us. Why, fourthly, that we can know, we can know, capital K-N-O-W, that the places of uncertainty, even they, all work together for good for those who trust in Jesus Number five, because we know, capital K-N-O-W, that even our salvation has been worked out by him. And then finally, we can be sure, capital S-U-R-E, that he has made us more than conquerors and that nothing, there is no uncertainty, there is no storm that can separate us from the love of God. This is the certainty that we have in our uncertainty. And it is all found in trusting in a God who is sovereign. Listen, even sovereign over the messes. It's Mother's Day. I should talk about my mom. My mom has been an amazing picture of the sovereignty of God. Maybe yours as well, or maybe someone in your life whom you, who you implicitly trust. Now, don't get me wrong. She is not God. Close, but not God. And she is not sovereign. But there's things in her life, things that I've watched as I've grown up, even to the present day, that I see that as a, an image, a picture of the reality of who God is. Through her. Uh, For instance, how in the heck did she know when I was doing something that I shouldn't be doing? There's something intrinsically weird about moms, right? And, and I still see this as a leftover um, in my wife a- as a mother that now is aimed at me. I could be standing next to her sometimes and say things that she won't hear. But I could be six rooms away whispering something that she will hear. She's got like these massive, incredible ears. And, and there's, there's this sixth sense that she always knows when I'm eating something that I shouldn't or doing something that I shouldn't. And my mom was that way as well how does how do moms do that there's a picture right of this sovereignty of God and then how did my mom know how to make the unpleasant things of discipline the very things that would tick me off but help me feel the pain of my disobedience like she knew how to get to me even to the point where all she had to do is give me the look and her disappointment crumbled me right That whole reality of this hurts me more than it hurts you was real. How did she do that? And then, this is the real mystery. How did she do that thing where she would tell me exactly where something was? Like, go to the basement, into the fruit cellar, the third shelf up, about a third of the way over, and there you'll find it. And I would go down the steps into the fruit cellar, on the shelf, third shelf up, about a third of the way over, and it wasn't there. It just wasn't there. And so I would go and say, Mom, it's not there. To which she would frustratingly come down the steps, walk into the fruit cellar, go three shelves up about a third of it. And it was, it was magically and mysteriously there. How does she do that? How does she make life so secure? Listen, so secure that at 54, I still like to go to my mommy's house. Why? Not only because there's just going to be really good food and good company, but there's just something about being at Mommy's house that makes me feel safe. How does she do that? And how does she do that thing that has me convinced that I will always be loved by her, no matter what I do? How does she do that thing that always provides certainty in my uncertainty. You have somebody like that in your life, maybe it's your mom. Listen, if that is true of someone in your life, then how much more? How much more does God do that for us? Listen, that even though he might bring storms, he holds us in the storm and then points us to even something greater in the storm. Yes, sovereign over the storm, but sovereign over our protection in the storm, that we might see something greater because of the storm that he has for us. Has he done that in your life? It is his sovereignty How does he do that? Listen, I don't get it. I I don't know all the answers to all of the questions, and uh, quite frankly, even Elijah Bombeck, our great seminary student, doesn't get it either, and neither do you. There's none of us that can explain it. Quite frankly, Naomi didn't get it. But she, I, hopefully you, know it. We know that this is the sovereignty of God. That no matter how many questions it brings, it will always it will always bring certainty to our uncertainty. And for that, we praise God. Because of that, we trust God. And in that trust, today we surrender to him. We surrender to his sovereignty. And we say, God, your will, your will be done. Let's pray. God, I know even in this message, we stir things in our hearts. We stir questions. We may stir pain. We might even stir uncertainty that we may have forgotten about. (laughs) But I am certain of this. And I pray, God, that by your Spirit, even now in people's living rooms or bedrooms or wherever they are, that by your Spirit you would minister to those places that bring questions. Not that there's answers to questions. But there's certainty that in your sovereignty, you have never left, you have never forsaken. And indeed, even using the uncertainty to show the greater glory of what you're going to do in our lives. Pray that you do that. Pray that you do that in me. Pray that you do that in us. That we might be your ambassadors to a world of uncertainty. Of one thing that is certain. And that is that you are in control. And that we together might surrender all to that sovereignty. Mm, I pray. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you join me in singing a great song. It's an adaptation of the hymn, I Surrender All, but it's still such a great song. A declaration of our surrender to an amazing God who says that there is nothing, nothing that can separate us from His love. Let's sing together.